Welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge, a monthly radio show and podcast featuring interviews about extraordinary advances in the area of peace and conflict studies happening at or around Columbia University. Each month, we feature interviews with scientists and thought leaders who are conducting groundbreaking work aimed at managing conflict constructively and sustaining peace both locally and globally. My name is Peter T. Coleman, and I'm coming to you from the studios of WKCR at Columbia University. The show is sponsored by AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. And now for today's show. Hello, everyone, and happy International Women's Day. Today we're doing a special interview with um, a women's advocate who I'm honored to welcome on the show. Her name is Jen In. Welcome, Jen. Hello. Happy International Women's Day to you, too. <laughs> Thank you, and to all of our listeners out there. Um, so Jen In has a passion and mission for girls' empowerment. She is the founder of Four Girls Global Leadership also known as 4GGL, a nonprofit organization and a social change movement igniting the next generation of empowered female leaders who will transform the world. Jen speaks and lectures worldwide and also works with universities, the U.S. government, and tech companies to amplify the global mission. She launched the first ever global survey on women's empowerment, targeting the millennials, and now in partnership with YouTube and Google. She's co-creating the first ever humanitarian vlog to video journal everyday lives of bold young women change makers in the most violent countries on our planet. She's doing very powerful and bold work. And Jen, you've written some articles for Huffington Post um, that I look forward to discussing with you in this interview also. And so much of your work is so exciting and um, important today, especially. I wanted to first start out with just hearing some of your personal story. Um, what brought you to this work and to starting for GGL? Well, thank you, Meredith. Uh, first, it is delightful, delightful to share with your audience, the Columbia community and even beyond, about what I believe is truly the greatest moral challenge of our time. And that is the near one billion girls and young women on our planet, that although my mission is to develop them into the next generation of empowered women leaders, the reality on the ground right now is that they are actually facing the mo most horrific atrocities and violence and death simply because they are girls, so simply the fact that they're females. So uh, how did I get here? I think the title for GGL, or the name of the organization and now a movement, is a good summary of how I got here. When people ask me who I am, I always say I'm a girl, and I'm very proud of that word. Um, my work and my experience has truly been global. And, you know, I didn't make up that word. That's mm -hmm. actually a real word. It is to think globally, act locally. And having had experience locally, nationally, and globally, I now realize that change happens locally. 
but we must become global thinkers. Mm. Um, and then for me, my path and my expertise now has really been about leadership development. And that's a process, it's a journey. And so without, uh, you know, it'll probably take a whole day <laughs> for me to share with you what my journey has been. Um, but I'm one of the girls. I was born in one of the poorest countries on the planet. And in my lifetime, I've not only have I uh, transformed and had, has, have had enormous experience, but my birth country also transformed, mm. and that's South Korea. So my mother even tells me about a time that South Korea was so poor that they were getting foreign aid from North Korea. North Korea, we can believe that. So we, I believe, actually, and I can't speak for all of the South Koreans, but I actually, I saw it in my lifetime. I saw a transformation. I, and at the same time, my life and who I am uh, has, you know, we went through an extraordinary uh, transformation. Um, and for me, that's because I lost my father at the age of seven months. And that's, you know, in most of the developed, developing countries and poor countries, your self-worth or your societal worth is based on a man in your life. Mm. And so if you don't have a father and you're a baby girl, uh, you're not worth much. And in, in actually, in poor families, if, even if your father was alive, girls aren't worth much. What's interesting is that I was born to one of the wealthiest families in South Korea, and the, the minute he, he died, I became valueless in my society. Hmm. And so I know I could have easily been killed or aborted or neglected to die, um, but through, you know, and this is what would, would probably take another, you know, a whole day <laughs> worth of interview, is that uh, phenomenal women uh, beginning with my mother, they championed me, and they helped to rewrite my destiny. Amazing. And now I'm committed to do the same for all girls around the world. It's a remarkable story, and I'm sure you could tell in more detail some of it, and I hope we can make that full day, and I can be there when this full day um, happens to share your story in more depth and go into um, more depth on these topics that you're bringing up um, and how your personal story connects with that. Thank you for, for sharing. And it seems like it does weave into so much of, of 4GGL's work. So um, I'm wanting to continue exploring some of these things that you've already mentioned about girls, you know, identifying as a girl yourself. Um, I know in your recent uh, article with Huffington Post, you you take an unusual position, um, I think many would, would argue here in the U.S. and also around the world, about um, the position of girls in the world today. You say that um, this, this generation of women, this next generation of women, that's, I wonder if that's how you would define girls, um, but are the most powerful force for change and countering violence and terrorism. Um, can you tell me more about this and kind of what you mean by, by girls? Sure. So girls, uh, when, I first was start, when I first started 4GGL, we were thinking of an acronym, uh, words that could 
stand for G-I-R-L-S. And they, it, it, to me, I mean, I didn't make them up. It really, to me, uh, embodies what girls are. Their greatness, they're inspiring, they're resilient, and their love for all girls, and they're strong. So with those adjectives and characters, I actually believe that there's girls in all of us. There's a girl even in men, you know. Um, but, okay, not to go into um, uh, even, to go into actually even more specific, what do we mean by girls? Well, the UN actually uh, defines adolescence as 10 to 19 years old. And youth is 15 to 25 years old. And young adult is 18 to 32 years old. So for me, the bracket, the one billion that is on our planet, really spans all three of that. And why are they why are they so unique and why are they so powerful? Well, when I was first uh, working in this field, I made the moral argument because really the and I hope we will we will go into why it is the greatest moral challenge of our time. Mm -hmm. I know the number of girls that are, that their daily lives are unimaginable to us, uh, especially if you're sitting in the United States of America or in Western countries. We cannot fathom um, the, the horrific lifestyle and the oppression and lack of voice and lack of opportunities for these girls. So I've made the moral argument and for, you know, people thought it was, oh, she's doing such nice work. Well, then in early 2000, in around 2010, um, we started to make people who are working for women and girls, we started to make the argument, the economic argument. And the World Bank launched a powerful report in 2011 that showed, actually, that this group, this population, is the most powerful contributor to the economy. And there's a graph that I show. It's actually one picture that every time I speak or lecture or teach that I show. And it shows how if you target just five countries, issues that are important to girls, girls' education, health care, economic opportunity, that just by targeting five countries, that it would put into the global economy half a trillion dollars. Half a trillion dollars, five countries. So wow. we know the we can now make a powerful economic argument. And even more in detail, we know that when we invest in girls and, and women, they contribute back to their society and their families 90% of their earnings compared to 30 to 40% at best for uh, boys and men. So we know that they are a, a, a great contributor to the economy. Now, when I started to make that argument, more people listened. But it still was only economists and people who were in development work that actually cared. Then 9-11 happened. And all of a sudden, not that you know terrorist acts and these acts of violence weren't happening, but it it not only did it wake awaken Americans, but really worldwide, uh, that 
it was a, a global wake-up call. This is a really interesting way to to position an important perspective to bring to this work because girls empowerment you you show how vital it is for the world's security and at home here in the U.S. if that's home for many of our listeners I think it is and and then also how it affects local and global thinking that you're you're talking about this global so um, I do also want to explore this greatest moral challenge I see what you're bringing up how it's a the greatest moral um, challenge of our time and to to also um, get more understanding on how we can face this challenge. Um, can you share insight about, um, yeah, what is it then that's the barrier from, from keeping us um, and not allowing this um, the girls to, to get the ability to transform the world as they have the potential to? Right. Well, you know, what's interesting is that because I have been working on this issue uh, my whole life, literally, I started to take action when I was eight years old. Um, I uh, shared with you a little bit about my life story. I lost my father when I was seven months old. I moved to the United States when I was eight years old. And I met an extraordinary woman who became my life mentor. And she showed me the greatest tool for change. And we did it together through action, community service, and what she called social justice advocacy. And so I started to get that training when I was eight years old. Now, that's a powerful training for a little girl who's eight years old. I would actually say it's a powerful training even for adults. <laughs> but I started doing it when I was eight. And I realized that I could change my world. And that is a very powerful tool. Now, what she also did without, I don't even know if she knew this is, you know, she, she knew this is what she was doing, but she also changed something that is fundamental to an agent of change. And that is she changed my mindset. Hmm. Gandhi uh, said that your beliefs become your thoughts and your thoughts are your words, and your words are your actions, and your actions are your habits, which are your values, which becomes your destiny. Now, imagine that, hmm. that it all begins with your thoughts. And so in essence, we're the product of our thoughts. And that's powerful. And when I start to look at all the issues that girls face today, and really, it's a laundry list from lack of education to child marriage to sex trafficking to female genital mutilation and on and on and on. There is a root cause, and that root cause is really a deep-seated mindset that believes and then treats girls as what I say, human trash. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this to be shocking. I'm actually saying it because it's reality. Girls are treated as trash around the world. Can you give us uh, an example of kind of where we can see this and maybe where, if you've, uh, you know, are there certain um, actions where we can see this thought manifested? Sure. In fact, 
I, when I speak and lecture, I also put this slide up, and I say that today over 100 million girls are not alive. That should be alive, 100 million. That is more than the number of people that have been killed in all the wars of the 20th century. Another way to see this, it's more than the number of people that are killed, that have been killed in all of the genocide of the 20th century. And in fact, one of the greatest genocides, which many know about, and that's the Holocaust. Well, if you can imagine that 17 times that has happened to girls, and the perpetrators or the killers, sadly to say, are their parents. So there's nobody to prosecute. It's their parents. It's their family. So you could see the deep-seated mindset that believes that girls are not valuable and why I know that the reason why I wasn't killed or, or neglected to die, which I could have easily been because girls are not uh, valued, I see that as my mission in life to make sure that the same, that exactly the same, I'm not doing anything different that I wasn't given the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And do you think when you say the that the families are killing their own uh, daughters, do you see, see trends of when that happens? What are the situations or conditions that make the such um, action? Sure. So when I was working on girls' education, I remember one of the advisors um, who was working with the administration at that time, um, he said that many, many places around the world think that girls' education is like watering your neighbor's lawn. So although that, you know, especially we've actually made tremendous progress in education, um, you know this, you, you got an, an amazing educa education at Columbia and higher education, but still around the world, many girls and young women, they can't go to school. And that's because uh, if there is an opportunity to send or there's money to send their children to school, it's usually the boys. There, there is this thinking that the girls are going to get married off, so why should we invest in girls? So that's just the beginning. Now, we have made great advancement in education for girls. Sadly, it's so that, that they could just marry them off. So you see, this is the reason why working issue after issue after issue, I realize without targeting the root cause, there is no stopping. And in fact, even if we eliminated one issue, another issue will come up tomorrow. And in fact, one of my studies and my background has been in medicine. I started this in medicine, then I got a, a master's in public health. And I, I use the analogy of we keep band-aiding the symptom and we're not really penetrating the root of the disease. We have to find a cure. And to me, it, it, there will be no cure without changing the mindsets of people. Mm -hmm. And you've given so many astounding um, evidence to show 
the severity of not addressing this mindset and these root causes that you pull out um, or have identified for us of uh, a deep-seated mindset um, and um, of, of seeing girls, as you say, as human trash and valueless. And um, I just also wanted to point out how in your writing and in your talks, I've found it so compelling and resonating so much with myself also that it's not, although it's predominantly in developing countries or in um, for populations that are without economic resources where this is hitting the worst, it's still a problem even um, that's not where the, the only place where the problem exists that you point out with um, just child marriages and um, also with women becoming sort of just shadows into the shadows and in, in other places as well, um, even in our developing world, or sorry, developed developed countries. Um, that's right. And in fact, I would actually argue that's where the opportunity lies. Because when I do talk about women's empowerment, and now I've had the opportunity to speak and lecture at MIT and Georgetown and Columbia and other universities across the United States and also around the world, you know, very highly educated women uh, young women come up to me and they said, you know what you're talking about. It's very interesting to me because I'm not empowered. Now, so even the idea that girls' education is the solution to empowerment, that's not true. You can be very highly educated and not be empowered. But I also think that that is the greatest foundation to develop and to build empowerment and resilience. Mm. Um, so you know, really, my target population is you and your colleagues um, to really help make you be the, the next generation of agents of change and not, you know, because really it is a unique opportunity for you to have all the education and information and the training that you've had. That's, that, that's a, a breeding ground for leadership, but, the ne but you can't get to leadership, really. I mean, to me, uh, turning turning people into leaders is synonymous with turning people as agents of change. So um, this idea of developing leadership, um, how do you implement that? You know, I know at, at 4GGL the mission is to energize a social change movement for the world's girls. And so is it putting education making education more accessible to girls? Is it a matter, you know, what what things um, are needed to overcome the mindset? You mentioned girls' education. Is it simply putting in schools or, like you say, you know, when maybe the economic factor of if a family has money, they're going to send their, their boys to school. Um, so how do we overcome these things or what, what can be done and how do you address that? Right. Well, I'm a, I, my, my undergrad major was math, and I am a big, um, uh, I, I love Einstein, and the, his, his, not only his mindset and the way that he, he thought, but really how he saw the world to really transform it. And so in many of my talks, I use his, his quotes or his, his philosophy or even his formula. So to me, a movement. A social change movement, which, by the way, is what is needed today 
to tackle the problems that we see today. We no longer see problems that are, and in fact, the World Health Organization, they have now come out and said that the, the killers of, of today is not the infectious disease, although there is many of them, uh, especially like Ebola and, and Zika virus that comes up out of nowhere. But the, the, the things that are killing more people on this planet is what they call communicable disease. Now, a simpler way to see that is called lifestyle disease. It's where you live, it's who you are. And I many times speak about who you are is going to kill you. And so in the United States, the number one killers tend to be uh, cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. In other places, it could simply be, be, be the fact that you are female. And so we really do need a social change movement to tackle these very deep-seated uh, problems. And the formula that came to my mind as I was thinking about how to build a movement is the E equals MC square. E is the energy, it's the movement. M is the mass, people. And the C square is really, you know, the speed of light. It's, and for me, it's awareness. It's really creating the awareness. And it must begin with the people who are not empowered. And that's why I focus on girls and young women. You are the greatest catalyst right now to give the training and to develop more of you who will, who, you're not just, you are naturally going to be inclined to be interested in creating change in this issue. So for me, you know, I always tell people, if, if your computer breaks, are you going to go to a philosopher to, to, uh, to, to work on your computer? No, you're going to go to a, a technologist or a computer scientist or an engineer. So when I'm looking at these social change that needs to happen, the greatest change agents or the ones that have the natural talents of them are going to be the girls and young women. So um, it seems like one of your programs is implementing this idea that you've you've just laid out for us and it's um this campaign that you're doing now that's um ignite tomorrow's young leaders today um and so um in this program just to um understand of sort of the operations of it so where does it take place um how how does it come into fruition sure well i have to say that um I like to think that when I first started the organization, well, first I've had experience locally, nationally, and globally to see that leadership development is like the magic bullet. It really is. It's not about you addressing the issue because there's too many growth issues to target, but to actually develop future leaders who are going to have a ripple effect. Now, when I first started this, I didn't target the one billion girls and young women on this planet. I, my aspiration was to just go to one small community at a time, whether it be in India or Bangladesh or Pakistan, and work with organizations that serve girls. Now, I call this the 4GGL 1.0. When I first started, 
the nonprofit as a nonprofit portion, organizations that served over 500,000 girls came to me. And that's when I knew that this had to scale. So I no longer, you know, I, I no longer think about um, the 200 girls or, you know, 50 girls or what have you in a community. I target girls who can become leaders in their community and have them change their world. And so what I now call 4GGL 2.0, and that is to develop leaders. And for this, I also realized that it must be a partnership and collaboration. I think really, and, and to me, this has been my journey of leadership, this idea that one organization, one school, one entity is going to change the world, never going to happen. To really tackle the social issues and the challenges of our time, it is really collaborating, collaborating with people with unique skills and organizations that have unique capacity. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, we came together with YouTube to focus and develop these seven young women change makers in the seven most violent countries on our planet. You said seven countries? That's right, seven countries. And it was a bold choice to go with YouTube and um, Google, I think. Um, has that... Have you worked with, with those companies or tech companies before? I imagine um, I'm thinking of some reasons why there could be a great advantage to partnering with these um, platforms, but I would love to hear um, kind of why you chose to, to partner with them and how that's affecting the work. Sure. Well, first, um, I will share with you, and this is the first time now with a, a, a public, um, something that has really shook and shocked my world. And so this project is near and dear to me because just like these seven young women who are working in these violent countries are facing, I am also facing. And that is recently I was diagnosed with brain tumor. And so I have come and become one with these young women who are in Syria, who are in Pakistan, who are in Iran, who are in Iraq, who see that, you know, as, as one of them eloquently said, Jen, if you think that there is time, that's a privilege. I now realize that time is a privilege. And so I have become one with them. I'm not, I'm not helping them. We're all taking action together to really make the world a better place. Now, when I thought about how can I, I, I knew, I know the, the power that comes from girls. And my goal was to show the world how powerful they can be and that they are actually. And in fact, I often say that we become what we see. So for me, my goal was to show empowered girls. And of course, what better way to do that than YouTube? And in fact, they have, YouTube has 1 billion users currently. So it really is to inspire peer-to-peer -peer action. Again, I'm all about movement building. And so for the YouTube 1 billion users is a great population to target and to show 
uh, young women who are leading change in these violent countries. Which, by the way, I do want to note that when we were thinking about these countries, um, you know, I know that for most people who are listening, they may be thinking about Syria and Iraq and Iran. Well, actually, the most violent country in the industrialized world is United States. So this, for that, I would love to invite your listeners to send in their Changemakers nominees because we are actually looking for a unique and, and, a, and an aspiring uh, peacemaker, young woman who is working to create change in their community. And I'll link that um, proposal for people to submit uh, on our website that where this interview will be housed or is also located on the AC4 website. Um, I just want to pull out when you say um, the U.S. is the most violent. I'm wanting That's to right. know, yeah, what kind of violence are we talking about here? Well, it is actually the most violent in the industrialized world. So we have enormous violence uh, against women. We also have gun violence. So this is not something that I uh, assessed and said, thought, oh, America, violence. No, actually, these these already have been assessed by global think tanks and peace-building organizations. That actually, there's a global peace index that comes out every year. And, of course, America is at the top in the wealthier countries. Mm-hmm. And um, also, um, this, this campaign sounds like such a success to, to be reaching one billion people, especially as you say, you know, you're setting out to start a movement. I'm wondering, how do you identify these girls? Um, I bet they have um, such stories, but how do you find them? Right. Well, actually, that is something that I, there's no strategy and there's no lack of. When you look at, you know, when you look at crisis or when you go to places that are in crisis, you actually see an extraordinary number of women and girls taking action. So there's not a lack of, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that hard to find young women who are taking action. And in fact, when you just uniquely look at even a, just a sector on political participation, you know, whether it's NEDA in Iran or whether it's the young women in Tahir Square, every revolution, every political uh, protest, there is young women that are at the back, at, in battle and in, in the front line. So it's not that hard to find young women. And in fact, in, in just in, um, in my lifetime, I've met heroic and tremendous uh, young women who, who, are, who are working to create change, whether they are working to uh, eliminate child marriage or whether it's honor killing you know, all kinds of horrific violence that they face in their community, they're actively working on it. So it, it won't, it's not hard. And in fact, the nomination from other countries, uh, we've got have more than enough. And interestingly, from the United States, we do not have enough, <laughs> uh, but maybe because I have not been advertising as aggressively. Well, it's interesting, though. I wonder, um, you know, how people are, are perceiving about girls' empowerment, too, you know? So um, maybe you're part of your movement, it seems like, is to change it in many different ways, and that needs to happen, it sounds like, also here in the U.S. Um, and Absolutely. And that's right. And, in fact, this project came. Um, it was the, 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 
the idea came actually, we launched the first ever global survey on women's empowerment. And this was after my frustration of realizing that there is no data, there's no global data out there that we don't know if women and girls are empowered. And yet around the world, whether it's Kofi Annan or Barack or President Obama or you know, scholars in the global development space that kept saying women's empowerment is the greatest tool. And yet we have nothing that's assessing whether women and girls are empowered. So we launched the first ever global survey. And from that, we saw the results were extraordinary. That was another place where I knew that it wasn't just education that was empowering girls. In fact, many of them, like we shared, it's not education that empower them. So then what empower them? What is the secret recipe that empower them? And when I realized that this doesn't cost a dime, that's when I knew that if we helped, if we show them through these seven women that we can really amplify and scale this work through YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you brought back up the empowerment survey because I'm just seeing how much we can, there is to explore in your work. And unfortunately, we have short time. So we just have time for one question left, I think. And I wanted to pull out, you know, this, the results that you have found and have done the work to present. And um, I wanted to, to ask, you know, does, does empowerment really address those underlying conditions that, you know, sometimes have led to, um, you know, making girls be perceived as valueless, uh, as you've, you've said, is that mindset that we need to overcome. And, not only are the results showing that it does address that, but then, um, you know, what's what's next, and how can we be a part of the movement that you're you've created? Right. Well, first, the survey uh, showed that the number one answer for uh, young women today who have become agents of change, their secret recipe was self awareness as a process of knowing who you are and, of course, your purpose in life. And as uh, the Syrian young woman changemaker, uh, as she shared with me, she said that, you know, she was, she's actually from a middle-class family. She's been, she was given the opportunity to get education. She was, she was even going to college. Then one day, she saw her government, the Assad regime, come and shoot her best friend right in front of her. So she still remembers the blood stain on her clothes. She had about 45 minutes to pack her bags and leave to be a refugee in another country, never knowing if she'll ever see her family. So for her, that process of knowing who she is, but also her purpose in life, her unique purpose in life, it was very clear. And it's that process. Now, of course, yes, her, her example and her experience was very powerful. But that is how someone becomes an agent of change, how they say, oh, I can't, to now, yes, I can. And in fact, for her and for me, it's a yes, I must. It's not even an I can anymore. So how can we work together? Well, for, first and foremost, it really, this is my global call to action. 
this is calling on the world, this issue that truly is the moral challenge of our time. Now, I uniquely focus on working with universities because it, you have the infrastructure to create classes, to create curriculum, especially in peace building and conflict resolution. And knowing now that young women are the, the one of the most powerful force for change, that they are the people to train, to create classes, to create curriculum and programs that is exclusively dedicated to this. The other thing that I would love to see, and this would be my wish list, is to actually work with the class in, in helping, you know, these seven change makers. They are distant, but yet using technology, this, they can be the ideal innovation lab. So to have a class work with these seven young women and interact, because for me, another aim of this project is to create a global sisterhood. I am not a fan of one Lone Ranger or one heroine story. You know, as, as much as uh, admiration I have for Malala, the fact that there is all this pressure on one young woman, it, it's just not productive, nor is it going to scale anything. So to really create a global group that is working together with these seven young women, I would love to see that happen. Now, for the greater community at large, who may not have or be going to Columbia, but is just simply listening to this uh, show, is, you know, so our goal for the Changemakers Initiative, you know, I say it's a bold initiative. We are raising $1 million. And to really be part of this movement, to create the next generation of Nobel Peace Laureates. And anybody can make that happen by going to 4GGL.org, whether it's $10, whether it's $100, or whether it's a, a donor who actually, you know, someone out there who says, I have a million dollars, and I'm someone who believes anything is possible. We're asking $1 million to develop the most powerful force for change on this planet. ISIS has raised $40 million for their recruiting force. It's chum change. It's chum change compared to how much this world has focused on violence and acts of violence and terrorism. To me, it is really investing in the most powerful force for change. And it is just as easy, whether it's $10 or $1 million. It is really about putting your money what you value most. Thank you for sharing, Jen. And it's an honor to have you on the show today. I'm going to have to end it here and um, thank you for sharing ways to get involved the International Women's Day to you and to everyone out there listening thank you all for joining and there will be more information on 4GGL and Jen's work on our website thank you all the music for this show was written and composed by Kevin Johnston and is titled Kingdom Stowaway (laughs) 